0: Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions dealing with real issues and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Hey, guys. We're just a few days from Christmas, we are almost there. This past week, I had a couple women in for dinner, and one of the women said to me, hey, do you guys do Christmas? And I kind of chuckled because I knew why she was asking, because there was nothing in my house that indicated that we did. See, I have this rule. If we're going to be going to New York for Christmas to visit my extended family, then I see no reason for me to have to spend money, time, or angst in decorating my house. So I don't. I mean, to be honest with you, everything that's required of women during Christmas, well, it's just a skill set I don't possess. It's been 3 years since we've been home for New York to New York for Christmas. You know, the whole COVID thing and everything and I'm really pumped. I have all this kind of anticipation, right? Like there's going to be warm, wood-burning fires in the fireplace. Yes, the smell, the crackles, and there's going to be tons of food because we're all foodies, and so we're going to cook and eat 24-7. And I have younger siblings, Jay and Michelle, and they have young kids. And, you know, for me at this point, Christmas is all about the kiddos. There's this excitement and wonder in them, and it's just Contagious. So I'm really, really, really looking forward to being home with my extended family this year. Sounds like Norman Rockwell, right? Yeah, not quite, because my family has stuff just like your family has stuff, and it's highly probable that some of that stuff could ignite on Christmas, right? Does it seem to always happen during the holidays? The real picture of Christmas is toven raw. Those are the Hebrew words for good and bad, all together. That's what really happens for most of us during these holiday seasons, Tov and Ra. And I happen to be a pastor, and I I find this season particularly hard because my heart hurts for those that I know are hurting this season. You know, like my friend Lori, who just lost her husband, John, and this will be our first Christmas without him. And I carry that with me. So, yes, I'm very, very excited about Christmas, but I also am a realist. Tove and raw. It's going to happen. Tove and raw. So, one of the ways I've been preparing my heart this season to get into a better frame of mind is to try to meditate on, noodle, ponder, consider God's love, you know, the scripture tells us that Jesus is God among us, right? We hear all of these familiar passages being read during this season, like Matthew 1:23. Look, the virgin conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God with us? Big deal. Even bigger is that God is love. So the God that is with us is love. And when I think about God as love, I tend to go to the cross. I wonder if you do too, right? It's like this ultimate act of love. But I I wonder if I have like gone so quickly to the cross that I've passed over the incarnation too fast because God with us, a God that is love is a big deal. And Francis' Assisi was like kind of the first dude that said, hey, we need to slow down and pay attention to Christmas, the coming of Christ. He felt like we didn't need to wait for God to love us through the cross and resurrection, that when God took on flesh, then what that meant was our problem of unworthiness was solved from the very beginning. God saved us by becoming one of us, he says. And so I've been trying to think about that over this Advent season. What does it mean when the scripture says God is love? John three sixteen right? God so loved the world, and I'm adding to it, that he chose to show up in it and become a part of it. God with us. God is love. Now, we know from scripture that Jesus is what God is saying. So if I want to know what God's love is like, I need to look to Jesus, right? So I'm watching him and thinking, okay, what does it mean to love? That word is a big word, isn't it? And quite frankly, we can't buy it in the grocery store, although some of you think you can, you can't. Um, It's a big word. We use it. We throw it around really easily, probably have diluted it for sure, right? So what, what exactly does it mean to be that God is love? Well, I'm not really sure I know how to define it. I've looked. Nothing quite seems to capture it. I like how Brian Zan says it. He says, the pure empiricist will tell you that what we experience as love is nothing more than chemi- a, a chemical response, advantageous to our evolutionary development. But though we may readily acknowledge that chemical responses are present in the experience of certain kinds of love, very few of us are willing to say that love is nothing but hormones and neutrons. We simply know better. Yes, we do. I may not be able to define this for you, but I know it exists. I have experienced it. I've heard it said, and I bet you have too, that love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. And... As a theologian, I would say yes and no, because that's how we answer everything. Yes and no. I mean, I think back to the words of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I think that this is what God is saying about how to love, I think, okay, well, that seems to encompass all of me. My feelings, my intellect, my heart, my body, my soul, my mind, my muscles, my work, my commitment, my senses— So I think maybe we need to get larger when we say things like love is a commitment, but not a feeling. No, it's actually a feeling too. It's all of that. It's all of that. Heart, soul, mind, strength. I may not know how to define love, but I've experienced it. It's revelatory. It's transformative. And I think that's why it requires poetry and art to help us even comprehend how to communicate it. So yeah, I've been noodling about love. It turns out there are four Greek words in the New Testament for our one word, love. Four different types of love described in the scriptures. And a couple weeks ago, my friend Ray, he's also my colleague, he's also on my board, came down for one of our board meetings. And I love it when Ray comes to visit because I get to sit out on my deck and have these long spiritual conversations with him that most people yawn at. But not Ray, he loves it. And so I started telling him how what I've been thinking and what I've been noodling on and what I've been like chasing after. And then he told me that a long, long time ago, he read a book by C.S. Lewis on these four loves in the New Testament. And he summarized them. And by the way, sorry, Ray, if I'm chopping up what you said, but basically he says, there's eros, right? Which is this romantic love, sexual love, Philo's, which is warm, affectionate, friendship love. Storge, I'd never heard of that, which is familia love. And then agape, which probably we've all heard of. Unconditional, sacrificial love. Charity, God's unconditional, sacrificial love. And I got to thinking, if God is love, then any time I've ever experienced love, then it's like I'd been kissed by God. It's like been revelatory, right? Like leading me to understand something deeper about how God loves. Now, don't get me wrong. Human love contains both Tov and Ra. We all know that. Bad and good. God's does not. But but in the middle of the Tov and Ra, he's exposing something about his love to us. Revelatory, transformative. And so I wanted to look at just the Tove. I wanted to go through the list of how God has allowed me to experience love through friendship and romantic love and familial love. How, how have I experienced these throughout the years? And what does that tell me? How has that informed me and shaped me to be able to embrace God's love in similar ways? So I went down the list, Eros, which took me to my first love, a high school sweetheart, some of you are listening and you know exactly who it is. And I asked myself, what was that love like? How did I know it was love? I mean, what aspects were present in that relationship that informed me about myself, about others, and about God? And I was talking to Steve about this. I was telling him, I was thinking about it. And I asked him, what did you learn from your first love? Not the raw, I just want to hear the tove. What did you learn? And it was interesting as we started talking about this, yes, aren't you glad you aren't married to me? These are the conversations my poor husband has to have over coffee in the morning. It was interesting. We had similar answers, right? Like, well, it was this idea that somebody wanted to know us, like intentionally go after us and choose us and, and want to know about us in all kinds of rela- ways, right? We're relationally, emotionally, and yes, physically. That's all part of knowing, isn't it? So I was thinking about that. It was immature love. It was young, but it was formative. And now I've been married to Steve for almost 34 years, and I can look back and see what old love looks like too. And I have to say the beauty to old love is there's history made. Stories are stories that no one else can have. I mean, if Steve were to die and I were to remarry and still have Eros love, which I absolutely could, and so could he, we could never recreate the same history. We don't have the same stories. Yeah, there's something phenomenal about that idea. History was made. And so were people, three to be exact, Hunter, Hampton, and Madison, And it's been work and a wrestle and beauty. It incorporated both Toven Ra all the way. We have been we chose each other and we have continued to choose each other over and over and over again. And I have found that kind of love to be very anchoring, very settling. And then I actually have to reckon the fact that in this faint shadow of human love that God loves me so much more eros love like that, right? Like it's, these are shadows because they have raw in them. They can't possibly be everything that God is. but, But God loves me like that too. Yeah, I know we don't usually like to think of God as eros love, right? Because that involves sex and okay, so forget the sex part, right? But you understand that there's more to it than just sex, right? Plato said that when we talk about eros, we we don't want to reduce it to just an act of sex. It's about anything that's desirous and passionate in our lives that we go after. We could say beauty would be something like that. Regardless of how you define it, we can't deny that the scripture does describe God's love in this way. In Exodus, we read that God is a jealous God, meaning no other lovers allowed. And then there's books like Hosea and the Song of Songs. I just recently studied the Song of Psalms, which, by the way, I learned that for the most part of church history, that, that book has been read more allegorical than literal. In other words, it's been interpreted for most of church history to be about God's love for us, not about Eros' love between a man and a woman. Kind of interesting. My point is, I have experienced the shadow of Eros, and God is the fuller picture of that. And that kind of love is available to all of us through God who is with us. God is love. Love. And then I thought about friendship kind of love. I've been very fortunate to have many good friends in my life throughout my life. Until actually, the only time I didn't was kind of when I became a pastor. Because people put pastors on pedestals, just like Catholics put priests up there. That's kind of what happens to us who work on church staff too. People keep us at bay. And by the way, that's not really good for us. We actually need to be down with everybody else doing life with everybody. Stop that. But during that time of aloneness as a pastor, I did have a couple friends. One's name was Kelly. And every time I would return from a weekend of teaching, she'd leave me this voicemail. Welcome home, Jackie. I can't wait to hear what God did through you. Now, see, this was really huge for me because coming home from those conferences was hard. It was hard to go from these mountaintop experiences where you are watching God move in mighty ways to assimilating back into this normal life where people are talking about shopping and fingernails and what kind of car they're going to buy. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you come off a mountaintop experience, it's hard to assimilate. And I didn't know how to like communicate what I had just experienced with God. And so it was hard to come home. But Kelly made a way for me. That's friendship love, and I I think God loves like that, right? He, He makes a way for us to come home, to feel at home. Ray and I were talking about the differences between eros and phallos, And um, he said, you know, romantic love is this face-to-face love where you gawk into someone's face. Okay, he didn't say gawk, but you know what I mean, stare longingly into someone's eyes. And friendship, he said, is side by side, you know, going along after the same kind of goals or with the same purpose and... I kind of chuckled when he said that. I thought, well, that's really safe. Uh-huh. I mean, this is, a, this is a definition that affords, I think, men, particularly older men who've been taught you can't be friends with women, um, uh, some safety, right? And and so, he said, no, this is what C.S. Lewis says. And I said, well, I'm calling bullshit. And he said, you can't call bullshit on C.S. Lewis. And I said, I just did. See, I would argue that friendship Can be as intensive and as passionate and as driven as romantic love. And I would argue that they are face to face often. I think we see this in the writings of like Saint Jerome to Marcella and Paula. Just read it, you'll see. This is intense on purpose. Like they're in each other's space. We women who have female friendships, we get this. We're all going, uh huh, uh huh, of course. And we see this. In Jesus, right, he says to his disciples in John fifteen twelve through 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is talking about a kind of love that's pretty intense, kind of love that dies for you, a friendship love that dies for you. Yeah, this is the kind of love God is for you and for me, that kind of friendship. Familia love. This one I think can be painful for some of us. I have been privileged to have been loved unconditionally by my mom. And I have to be honest with you, it was her love that laid a foundation for me to believe that God loves me unconditionally and everlasting, not dependent on me, but on Him. And that truth, well, that truth, I got to tell you, really settled me. It took time, mm, like nine years, to really breathe that truth in, to let it become a part of my DNA. I mean, nine years, I wrestled with Jesus, we tussled, He was tender. There was a lot that needed exposing and washing and healing and empowering. Because although my mom was loving, my dad was not. He didn't. He couldn't. And so abuse reigned in our home. He didn't, he didn't mean to. I don't know. I can't even get into it. The point is, it left scars. There was loss. A child is supposed to be loved by their parent. But it's not always the case, is it? And when it's not, it cuts deeply. I'll never forget watching Steve play with Madison on the couch when she was a little girl. And I had like this out-of-body experience. Like I'm watching them and I don't know how to process what I'm seeing. It was foreign. And it shouldn't have been. But here's the point. And I can't pinpoint how. It was over time, like I said, about nine years of hanging out with Jesus, listening to the living word speak to me, and occasionally obeying. (laughs) And it was through that he showed me how he loved me. He showed me who he was, how he loved me. He allowed me to see it in scripture. He allowed me to experience it in my mind, body, and soul. And it was because of God's love that I stopped needing my dad's. And I remember when I realized I had shifted. I had been home in New York during one of those holidays and we were all sitting around in the family and my family started talking about this particular woman and how bad of a mother she was. And I started getting uncomfortable. It just kind of felt a little too gross, gossipy. And so I kind of just like tried to say something flippant to change the direction. I said, well, you know what? I'm a really good mom. So let's just move on, you know, ba pa pa And later my younger sister, Michelle, and I were flying, um, to Chicago. And she said, did you hear dad compliment you today? And I said, no. She said, he agreed with you. He said, you were a good mom. Now, I got to tell you, I was in my mid-30s at that time, and that was the first time my dad had ever complimented me, and I missed it. And it wasn't um, for not, I mean, I'm sitting there in my airplane seat, stunned. Stunned that It didn't matter. A man who had verbally abused me, not one kind word, was saying something nice, it didn't matter. I had Jesus. I knew I was loved. And that settled it for me. See, love, radical love, radically transforms. Earlier, I quoted Zand on love, but I didn't finish his thought, actually. So I'd like to do that now. He says, the pure, the pure empiricist will tell you that when we exper- that what we experience as love is nothing more than a chemical response advantageous to our evolutionary development. But though we may readily acknowledge that chemical responses are present in the experience of certain kinds of love, very few of us are willing to say that love is nothing but hormones and neutrons. We simply know better. And here's the part I didn't add last time. He goes on to say, to live in a world where love does not exist would be to live in hell. And that may be very close to what hell is, a world where love is not real. And that got me thinking, we don't have to live there, here. We don't have to live hell here. We don't have to experience it because God is love and remember what Christmas tells us? And that God that loves is with us. He's with me and he's with you, even in the middle of our tough and raw Christmas. Even in the middle of when Aunt Betty says something hurtful or Sammy forgets to get you a gift and everyone else he remembered, or your buttons get pushed and you lose it, and then you start feeling shitty because you lost it. We can hold on to God's love in the middle of all that toven raw agape, unconditional. You can't gain it and you can't lose it. Everlasting, now all the way into eternity. Paul says it like this in Romans, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us, separate us from God's love, neither death nor life neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power is in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So with that, wallowing God's love this Christmas, experience it. He's with you. He's got you. Merry Christmas. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.